The Spin-Off Podcast Network. Raising capital or taking your business to the world? Investment Fix has everything you need to make it happen. This season, we're exploring the US market, the opportunities it offers, what it takes to grow a business there, and the best way to approach investors. The Investment Fix Podcast. Tune in today. When the Facts Change is brought to you by the Spin-Off Podcast Network, in partnership with Kiwi Bank. The bank for Kiwi, looking to get ahead in business and in life. A bank that delivers expertise and banking know-how, smart advice for business owners wanting to invest, grow their business or diversify. A bank that adapts with technology through the lens of its people and customers. It is a bank with heart that is driven by its purpose. Kiwi, making Kiwi better off. Kia ora, I'm Bernard Hickey, but this is not When the Facts Change. Our friends at Kiwi Bank have been working with the Spin-Off Podcast Network on a limited series called This is Kiwi, profiling some pretty incredible New Zealanders and hosted by the Spin-Off's Jane Yee. We thought you might like to have a listen while you wait for the next episode of When the Facts Change to drop, so we're sharing it in this feed and I'll be back on Friday, as per usual, with my regular economics yarns. In the meantime, hope you enjoy This is Kiwi. Kia ora, I'm Jane Yee and welcome to This Is Kiwi, a podcast series brought to you by Kiwi Bank and the Spin-Off Podcast Network. In this series, I'll meet with incredible New Zealanders who've achieved remarkable things, uncovering what makes them tick and the influences that have helped to shape their ideas. Most importantly, This Is Kiwi will bring you knowledge for better, the incredible power of determination, passion and self-belief that we can all learn from and apply to our own lives every day. So join me on this unique journey as we celebrate the Kiwi spirit and learn what it takes to make a difference. This is Kiwi, where ordinary people do extraordinary things. My guest today is Simran Kaur, founder and director of Girls That Invest, financial columnist, best-selling author, TEDx speaker, and financial literacy advocate, particularly for women and minorities. She also has a podcast which has topped the business podcast charts in the US, UK, Australia, Canada and of course here in Aotearoa with over 4 million downloads. If that wasn't enough, she also runs The Indian Feminist, an Instagram account with over 300,000 followers that aims to smash the patriarchy one post at a time. But wait, there's more. This year, Simran was a guest speaker in the UK House of Parliament for International Women's Day, and she was also named a Forbes 30 Under 30 Asia honoree alongside her business partner and best friend, Sonia Gupton. I've just listed several lifetimes of extraordinary achievements, but Simran is just 26 years old. It's honestly mind-blowing. She has wisdom and a confidence that belies her age, and if I'd done all that in my 20s, I'm pretty sure my ego would be out of control. Yet, as you're about to hear, Simran is extremely down-to-earth and generous with both her time and her knowledge. Talking with Simran, it's obvious she's constantly aiming beyond her potential and facing each day as a new opportunity to grow her business, but moreover, to empower others. And during my time with her, I found her drive and passion to be rather infectious. Before we dive in, I just want to say you're definitely going to hear some great tips when it comes to taking control of your finances, wherever you're at on your investing journey. But what's different about this korero to what you may have heard or read from Simran before is an insight into what motivates her and the kind of mindset she embraces in order to turn words into action. Here's Simran Kaur on This Is Kiwi. Simran 
Cool. I'm so excited to have you in the studio today. I've been really looking forward to our korero. Um Not least because I'm after some financial advice. No, I'm kidding. I know there are so many resources out there that you've put into the world to help women in particular in terms of financial literacy. But today we want to discover what makes you you, what motivates you, what drives you, and hopefully we can get a few little takeaways that might help us on our journey as well. So we talked in the intro uh, about all the many things that you've achieved, and I'm just still gobsmacked <laughs> that you've achieved all this uh, by the ripe old age of 26. Oh, thank you. I, I sometimes I have like an out of body experience when, especially when someone will read it out and I'm like, that's so impressive. And I'm like, wait, that's me? That's me. <laughs> I did that when? I can't, rec- I can't recall. I think it's, um, yeah, it's very weird. My life was still a complete mess when I was 26. At the ripe old age now of 44, I'm starting to get a little bit of a handle on things. So you've got a really, really good head start here. What is it that made you so passionate about helping women with financial literacy? I think when I was younger, I really experienced around me the impact of what a woman's life looks like when they're financially independent and what a woman's life can look like if they're not financially independent and they're in a sticky situation. Mm. And I think seeing the two differences, um, I remember you know, even at a, a party that my parents took me to, a, a lady said to me, you know, what do you want to do when you grow up? And I was unsure. I was like, oh, I don't know. My parents were behind me. I was like, maybe I'll be a doctor. Um, and she was like, good, you should do something like that because when you have money, you can choose who you marry. And I just remember thinking, what a weird thing to say. You can always choose who you can marry or you can always, you know, have choices in life. But the idea that you have more choices in life when you have financial independence um, just became so important to me. And I don't know why I like got tunnel vision with it, but I guess I just did. And um, it's just been a huge passion of mine since. So that was a real kind of light bulb moment for you at quite a young age. Yeah. Yeah. I think I was, I don't know, like 10 or 13. If that conversation hadn't happened, how can you see things would have played out for you if you I mean you perhaps you might have had that light bulb moment at some other point but mm-hmm. if you hadn't mm-hmm. what do you think the trajectory would have been for you I think if I had grown up the way that was maybe more traditional for um, my culture I'm South Asian it would have looked like me getting a job but maybe not you know, pursuing it so hard or kind of going, oh, this is great, like work is fantastic or studying is great, but my partner will be the person that takes care of the finances. I'm going to marry someone that, not for money, but marry them in a sense of like, well, if I want a nice life, I'll choose that kind of partner and almost weighing it on them or putting that power into their hands. I think that was the more traditional route um, that my society had growing up and I guess that's where I would have been. Is your family very traditional in terms of those values, generally speaking? I think my family aren't, but I've grown up a lot around it. Right. Yeah. Right. Tell me about how you went from studying, becoming, working in optometry, which is what you studied, Mm -hmm. to now, I mean, it's a mini empire that you've got going on. It's a multifaceted beast with girls that invest, which is, you know, you've got your podcast, which is the number one financial podcast in the world, not just in Aotearoa, but in the world, you've got a book, you do speaking engagements, you run masterclasses. Um, how? 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 <laughs> it's 
a great question. Um, we started during March 2020, and that was because um, the stock market dropped, and it dropped in a way that was quite scary. COVID was this new thing, and because of my health background and my financial background, I was like, oh, like, you know, this is just people are a little bit scared. They don't understand what this is. It's just a virus, but like it, it could get bad. It'll be fine. I don't know, but the market will recover from it. Mm-hmm. And so I remember just being like, it's another day. Let's actually invest a little bit more because it's so down. Went to work um, and just saw or heard rather just a lot of commotion around me, like concerned colleagues talking about, well, what about my KiwiSaver? Should I pull out from my growth fund and put it into a conservative fund because it's dropped, you know, 5% today? Um, and amongst my friends, I realized, oh, um, financial literacy is not as common as I thought. Mm-hmm. I've been quite lucky. I've studied finance alongside my optometry degree, and I've also had parents that were good with money. Um, and I just kind of thought everyone got to have the access that I did. And that was the kind of light bulb moment where I was like, okay, well, I love teaching. And I think more than anything, if people wanted to attribute what we've done to like one skill, it's been being a good teacher. Like I don't think it was the, I, I don't, I, I can't put it to anything else, but I was like, well, I can just jump online and start sharing, you know, why you shouldn't be pulling your money out of KiwiSaver when the market drops because it actually solidifies your losses. Or or I was always wondering like why, what can I do to make it easier? And I think I just love jumping online and sharing my thoughts and opinions because I have a lot of those and I just decided (laughs) to make an an Instagram account, a Facebook group and I had one friend message me and she had just graduated and she just had started working as a doctor and she was like, how did you know that I wanted to learn about the stock market? And I was like, because we all do. Like, I I truly believe that my experiences are not that unique. If I'm wondering these things at some point in my life, I'm sure other people are as well. And so that's how we began. We did not realize that three months later, the stock market would rebound and go on this massive bull run, which in um, non-jargon terms means it just did really well. It was going upwards and upwards and upwards. And suddenly everyone else was wondering about the share market. And so we were kind of at the right place at the right time. And I think that's always worth mentioning because, yes, we worked really hard, but we got to ride a wave that we didn't see coming. And it was just by actively starting and doing something, we were able to catch on to it. You've said us and we a lot mm-hmm. because it's not just you. Even though you're a very independent woman, <laughs> you also have a partner in crime, Sonia. Yes. Tell me a little bit about your relationship with her. I met Sonia when I was five years old. We oh. were um, two, we were the only two brown girls in the school that we went to. So we naturally were just like, hmm, you look familiar. You look like someone I would know. And we just became best friends. And we've never been best friends that have talked about business or money we like that's not her that that wasn't really me for a long time and it was just when I was starting to look into buying a house I kind of opened up to her and I was like hey I'd love to you know maybe do this crazy thing and buy a home one day and she was like that's a great idea I've considered it as well this is how much I have in my bank account and I was like what since when like when did you have (laughs) that much money and it was just it was just like a taken aback moment that we both had where you know Sonia had been working for like six or seven years at that point and so it makes sense but it just kind of goes to show like you can know someone for 20 plus years and have absolutely no clue what they're like in their finances because it's taboo it's so taboo it's taboo so I mean this is an excellent example of why um 
being more transparent can be, you know, super advantageous. Um, being able to swap notes with people that you trust, and that's probably a key thing, right? People that you trust. But you also have to be really careful where you go for advice. Mm -hmm. What do you recommend in terms of people when they're seeking out financial advice? Because you come with a lot of experience, right? You come with lived experience. You've obviously been working in this space a long time. For someone like me, who maybe isn't feeling so empowered and making decisions about investing and so on, um, you know, where, where would I get that sense of empowerment from? What would you advise? And where would, you know, where's a good place to start? I think empowerment comes from when you feel like you've got the knowledge. And I think then, you know, you c there's two ways that you can do it. You can like tell someone like, hey, you can invest or hey, you can get started. But those are just words. And mm. if, I don't think those, you know, hit. They kind of, you hear it and you're like, okay, thanks. That's very kind. But like it doesn't stick. Whereas the, I think the honest way of being empowered is when you can sit down and whether it's through a book or a podcast or chatting with a financial advisor or just doing something where you're learning more and equipping yourself. I, I like to uh, akin it to like when you go to the gym. The first time you go to the gym, you're so nervous. You don't know how the equipment works and you don't feel very motivated. But imagine going with a friend who's like, okay, this is how I do everything. Watch your form. Like, don't make a mistake here. This is like gym etiquette. Don't leave your, I don't know, what do you call them? Like the, the weights around. <laughs> Until I clearly gym a lot. <laughs> You're too busy. Uh, and, and what you learn from that is, okay, now I have the knowledge, I'm going to be more likely to turn up. And now I'm actually excited. And I think it's the exact same with finances. When you get the knowledge, you realise, one, it's actually not that hard. You realise it's within your capabilities. And then you feel empowered yourself. Like you don't need someone else to like, you know, wave pom-poms in your air in the air and go hey you should invest for xyz reason it's just one when you get it you're like oh that's it i can do that that takes me five minutes every month there's there's financial opinion and then there's financial advice and you've got to be really careful can you just give us an idea of the distinction between the two that's a great question i think when you give financial advice it's saying things like hey i think that you should invest in company a or that company a is a good investment as soon as you start to say anything that can influence someone's opinion to go out and buy a certain product or investment class um, or change what they're doing with their finances in terms of where they're putting their money, I think that's advice. And I think that's quite um, a clear distinction to us. I think financial opinions is us or, or facts are saying things like a fund is X, Y, Z, a share is X, Y, Z. Here are the pros and cons of both of them. And you're actually smart enough to decide what you like. We're here to tell you what they are. Mm. And that's empowerment. Yeah. That's helping people understand so they can make decisions for themselves independently. Um, what is it about the podcast? Two mates having a yarn. Uh, I'm a podcaster, so I understand the, um, the joy of being able to do that, just <laughs> talking about things that you enjoy with a friend. My podcast isn't the number one in its category in the world, though. What do you think it is about your podcast that uh, that rocketed it to number one? Oh, I think it's like twofold. On one hand, we I think we were a little bit lucky in the sense that um, we were at the right place at the right time. I think we were two people 
bringing in a voice in a industry where that voice did not exist, mm-hmm. you know, to young women that talk about the stock market, but in, in the same grain or in the same breath, talk about Love Island. You know, you don't usually see those two together. It's You don't usually have like Kardashian-esque examples of explaining different types of shares. But so I think that also helped. Um, so it's like talking in a language that people understand. Yeah, just bringing it to bring it to our level, talking about it in the way that we would talk about it. And I think it was just a different way of doing it. I think people used to be scared to seem dumb or scared to simplify something so, you know, um, serious. And you think about the stock market, you think about like people in suits. Mm-hmm. You don't imagine people in jeans and a basic top talking about money and still knowing what they're talking about. So I think that was one hand of it. I think the other was we worked really hard behind the scenes. And I think I don't often talk about this. And I think... Um, it's probably a good time to chat about it in this context. But when you put a little bit of luck and a little bit of hard work, like, of course, it's going to work out. Like we every episode, I would listen back and I would write notes of what we could do better. Like I was a little bit of a dictator with myself. And I think Sonia got sick of me at some point as well. <laughs> but I was like, even little things like when I would finish a sentence, I would end it in an infliction, like a question rather than going, hey, the stock market does this. I would say the stock market does this. And little things like that you don't even pick up on. But if you're trying to improve every day and go, how can I make this better for the people that are listening? Then, like, I just don't understand why it wouldn't work. That's um, a really incredible kind of mindset that you have about thinking, you know, certainly I'm happy to admit that when I started podcasting about reality TV, so I feel like you might enjoy our (laughs) podcast. I um, absolutely will. (laughs) We, you know, it was basically just a, a sort of, it wasn't, I wouldn't say an ego trip because we didn't have enough <laughs> listeners to call it an ego trip, but it was just a very self-fulfilling endeavour, you know. We enjoyed doing it and that's why we did it and some people came along for the ride, which was really, really cool. Um, but you're listening back to your stuff and going, how would it be better for other people? And that, I feel like, speaks to everything that you've achieved in your career so far because... You know, a lot of people, when they um, when they make money, I'd argue most people um, would kind of keep that tight, you know, and mm. spend it on themselves and furthering their own wealth. And you've managed to do uh, do that while also having this um, incredibly generous outlook of sharing with other people so that they too can benefit from everything you've learned. Oh, thank you. That's very kind. I think... Yeah, I, I think we. I remember once I had a conversation with someone and she was surprised because I had said, oh, what did I say? I said something along the lines of like, yeah, I was working like 80 to 100 hour weeks when I was working full time and growing girls that invest. And she was like, 80 to 100 hours. And I kind of looked at her and I was like, well, it didn't happen by accident. <laughs> like we didn't, we weren't like two, you know, silly little girls jumping on a podcast and it blew up and it was all luck. Um, like, I don't, but I don't mind people thinking that. Like, I don't. We don't need to sit down and say, "Look, no, we have, we have a business plan. We had brainstorming. We we had hard conversations. We had to really look at ourselves." And there were times when we almost quit because Sonia was like, "This was meant to be a hobby, Simran. <laughs> <laughs> it's become like hard work. This is a job." And I was like, "Of course, it's a job. Like, we have to, <laughs> we have to, we have to achieve what we're trying to achieve. If we're going to do it, we're going to do it well." And there's always, you know, strategy behind everything. But I think it's a beautiful art to be so strategic and yet have people tell you that it was luck. What does it mean to be a feminist as an Indian woman? Because you also have a, a an Instagram account which has 
Hmm, how many? How many? What's the latest numbers? 300,000. Is that all? Just 300,000 <laughs> 300, uh, followers. It's called the Indian Feminist. Mm-hmm. Um, so, this, I, I mean, it really ties into independence and financial mm-hmm. literacy. Obviously, the, these things go hand in hand, but also there's this other strand of what you're doing on a day-to-day basis and talking to people. Um, so you might not think of yourself as a role model, but I would argue that there are a lot of people who are looking up to you and um, and stuff that you say does have an impact. Mm-hmm. Sometimes I look into what we do and I go, I would kind of wish I had this growing up because I didn't. And I think it was a case of, well, there weren't many strong um women of colour role models in the business space in New Zealand when I was younger. There's so many now and it's fantastic to see and social media makes it more easier to Mm. find those people. But I became an optometrist because a woman at my temple was an optometrist. And I was just like, well, she can do it and she's amazing and she looks like me and sounds like me, so I can probably do it too. And, And that's just what representation does. So I'm appreciative that we can expand representation in, in the space that we work in. Is it particularly difficult to be a feminist in Indian culture? Oh, um, I think in some ways, yes. In some ways, no. You've, you'll find, because it's so, so vast, you'll find pockets of it where it, like it's just it's so easy. And I remember I ran into... Um, some relatives when we got a Forbes 30 under 30 um, announcement and they were like that's fantastic and then they were like are you going to get married before 30 though and I was like that's all you can think about right now <laughs> like that's the that's the concern um, so yeah you definitely run into it still and it, it comes from a good place obviously that that to them is what success looks like and of it's course just, it's just finding or redefining what it means to you and it's not unique to Indian culture either. It's still, you know, it's very entrenched in, you know, most cultures that uh, what a successful life looks like and it's getting married and it's having a couple of kids and it's being financially sound and it's quite often, um, even though it's a lot better than it was, it's about mum being at home with the kids. Mm. And I uh, went through a separation a couple of years ago which was really eye-opening for me in terms of how the uh, cards fell financially because... I had had a good career. I'd stepped out to look after the kids for quite a few years. And, like, no disrespect to my husband, great guy. We're great friends for anyone who's worried about that. <laughs> if I'm about to throw him under the bus, I'm not. Um, and we, you know, we had we had very shared everything. But it was, you know, I came away from the separation financially equal to him. We mm-hmm. went half everything, which is fine. But the difference was I had been out of the workforce for a time that meant mm. his earning potential and his career had progressed so much further in that time and I was like I wasn't just back to where I was I was further behind because they Mm. had to sort of reprove myself again I mean I think this is the kind of long-term stuff we don't like to think about because you don't ever imagine that your marriage is going to fail and you're going to be in this position no of course not so how do we get better at thinking more long-term about the future person that you might end up being who may need to be financially independent? I think it's conversations like these because someone that's listening at home right now probably I I can't imagine has you know considered that possibility of wait that could be me like you said no one goes into anything assuming a a scenario like that so by opening up and saying hey I did this or this happened to me and this was quite hard it lets people know what can happen and therefore 
you can almost not future proof but it's just a little you almost put a little notch in your head of like this might be me so what can I do over time to make sure I'm also okay and does that look like being okay with still doing that but just knowing that I might have to invest a little bit and have some money on the side so that at least I've got a somewhat of a nest egg or an emergency fund. We always talk about emergency funds on our show. Just something that makes you know that you've still got you because not everyone will have things split 50-50. Not everyone, you know, there's financial abuse is a really serious concern and it's just knowing that it can happen and then safeguarding yourself. Yeah, it's interesting. I think maybe um, potentially a generational thing, but... I know things like prenups or kind of being financially independent before you got into uh, like a cohabitating relationship or something was just not, not only was it not something we talked about, it was kind of seen, I guess, as being like potentially a bit greedy or a bit, mm-hmm. you know, like to, to, to or, or casting a shadow on a yeah. relationship. Do you yeah. think that's changing? A hundred percent. It makes me so happy. Like I've seen amongst my friends, you know, even um, I had colleagues at my old job who openly told me, yeah, you know, we're getting married, we're having a prenup. I, I'm so nosy. I was like, can you tell me about the prenup? <laughs> can you tell me how you're splitting things? And then they told me, they're like, yep, so, you know, we came in together with um, one person had like $100,000 more. So when we break, if we break up, sorry, <laughs> my apologies, if we break up, it will split 50-50 plus that extra 100000 will go to them. And it's just so nice to hear because you'd kind of look at yourself and go, okay, well, that's maybe something I could do. It's so much more open. Yeah, yeah. So conversations are key. It's a really, really important thing, which is why I'm so pleased that we've managed to get you in here today to discuss some of this stuff. What are some of the key messages that you would like? I know, you know, you've as we discussed before, we turned on the mic, you've done hundreds of podcast episodes, you've written stuff, you've done speaking engagements, all these things. Um but if you were to just take a couple of key messages for your listeners, readers, audience members to take away, what would they be? I think the main thing I would say to anyone, whether you are someone that's trying to get better with your money or you're someone that's looking to start a business, is never underestimate how much you can learn or never underestimate what you can understand. I think what I've run into a lot with the people that we've worked with is a lot of self-limiting beliefs, not because it's their fault, but just because we've been taught mm-hmm. that. We've been taught, look, money is really hard or it's it's really hard to get unstuck and it's better to bury your head in the sand than to call up your bank and go, okay, I'm actually struggling here. What does debt consolidation look like? Or what can I do? What's the proactive steps I can take? If you believe that you have the ability to go, I don't understand this right now, but... I'm sure I can learn it. And if I can't learn it from this person, maybe I'll go to someone else. Or if I can't learn it from this book, maybe I'll go to this podcast. Or I'm not really a podcast or a book person. I need someone to talk to me. I'm going to go to an advisor. Like there's all these different options that we have to learn whatever it is that you want to learn. I I don't know if this is like naivety, but I don't believe there's anything in the world that I can't wrap my head around. Wow. What is it about finance, though, that's fun for you? Because for <laughs> I feel like I speak on behalf of quite a lot of people where it's actually just really intimidating. What is it about it that's fun for me? I think it is so fun to um, understand, like, the behaviour behind money. And so that's not necessarily finances in general, but I think it's so interesting the way that 
even um, when we lose $100, that hurts us and that feels like more of a loss than when we find $100 on the street. Right. Things like that. Right. I just love it. And it's, I love the aha moments that I get when I'm learning about finances. And I, more than that, I love the aha moments other people get when I'm like, oh, this is just what the stock market is. Or like, this is just what a fund is. And it's like, oh, that's it. Um, we had someone message us and say that they had started listening to the podcast and had just gone through a divorce. And obviously it's not from our financial advice or anything that made her gain the money that she had. But she shared that when she had just gotten divorced, she had $8,000 and two years listening into the show, she had 32000 invested. Wow. And those are like the real world impacts. Uh, do, you, do you get a lot of feedback like that? We get a lot of feedback like that. That must be so encouraging. It's fantastic. It's, you know, finances is not just, in my opinion, a, a good thing to know. It's life changing. Yeah. It's, it's, um, I love hearing you talk about the psychology behind it because that's the thing I feel like behind everything that is always so fascinating is not the what we do, but why we do what we do, why we react and behave the way that we do. Because once you get to the core of that, you can start fixing bad habits and so on. A hundred percent. What are some of the worst money habits people have? I think the worst money habit I've ever seen is pretending like it's not going to be an issue later down the track. Right. Which we all have done. I mean, I'm speaking on experience of myself. I I think the worst uh, habit I've come across, including myself, is pretending like something's not going to be an issue down the track. And you're like, oh, like retirement's an issue for later. Or I'm just going to rack up as much as I can on my study link because paying that off will be like a tomorrow, you know, tomorrow version's problem. And when you can start to say, okay, Simran, sit down with yourself. Let's 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 think about this. You're going to have to deal with this at some point. It's okay to get your head out of the sand. That has been really helpful for me. Mm-hmm. And it's like when we have um, kids, and anyone who doesn't have kids but has, has been a kid, we've all been kids and had our parents go, I know this is what's good for you later on because I've got the experience now. Like I say to my kids, Trust me, take up the mm. sport. I know you don't want to go today because it's cold and you don't feel, feel like running around the pitch at 8 o'clock in the morning. But when you get older, you'll appreciate that you had this training. Mm-hmm. <laughs> it's a little bit of talking to your own self like that, yeah. but around money, right? It's almost like parenting yourself. <laughs> yeah, that's, and, and obviously that's not fun, <laughs> but it's, it's useful and your future self will absolutely thank you for it. And there's no better time to start than now. A hundred percent. And... What's the very first step? Because there will definitely be people listening who uh, there's going to be the full gamut, right? People mm-hmm. who, who are completely in tune with the kinds of stuff you're saying, people who it's completely foreign to them, they haven't thought about money, they've sort of scooched by and gotten through or they're living pay to pay um, or they're in a whole lot of debt and it mm-hmm. just feels insurmountable. What's the first step that someone can do today? I think you can't measure what you don't know. And so I think the first step would be take inventory. It's almost like, you know, when you're moving house and you pack everything up and you kind of see all your stuff Mm. in one pile and you're like, oh, interesting, this is everything I own. Do that with your money. Just sit down with yourself today. Get all your bank accounts out. Get all your credit cards if you have them. Log into that KiwiSaver that you, you know, probably need to like forget my password to find (laughs) and just write it all down and go, okay, this is where I'm at. And you might be positively surprised you might have thought that you were not doing as well as you thought you might also find the opposite and go oh actually 
I thought I was really tracking along quite well, but I didn't realize my KiwiSaver balance was out, or I didn't realize I only had that much in my in my bank account. Um, you might find that you have all these subscriptions that you didn't even realize you were still paying for, but having that inventory then lets you work out the next step, and that next step might go, okay, well, am I happy with this? And you then work out, what am I not happy with? What am I going to do to change that? That might look like you know, working on that debt or, or having a conversation with a financial advisor or going, you know what, maybe I do want to start investing. Let's start finding resources on how to do that. Or I always wanted to buy a house. I never thought it was possible. What can I do to f- change the situation? I think everything feels like a tomorrow problem or a hope or a dream or I'll sort it out later when it comes to money until you sit down with it and take inventory and you measure it and then you can kind of look as time goes on and see if things are improving or or getting worse. I found that really helpful. I would track my quote unquote net worth every month when I started my first job just to go, okay, well, where am I? What do I have? Oh, I've got, I've got like $2,000 to my name. Interesting. What can I do about that? What's your ultimate goal with Girls That Invest as a brand? I think My goal at the start was for it to turn into a place or a resource where if two friends were having a conversation and one of them said, you know, I'd really like to learn the stock market thing. The other one would say, oh, well, there's this show called Girls Invest or there's this book called Girls Invest. Check it out. I think the second thing I would really want is just for it to not seem so taboo. Like I met someone at a um, event a few weeks ago and she was telling me that she was taking our masterclass and she was doing it with her 16 year old stepdaughter and they were learning together and I just I went home and I thought about that and I was like wow like the next generation are going to have stories like yeah my mum and I sat together and we learned about the stock Mm. market and that's so weird like we didn't have that growing up that's what I want I want it to be so normal that it's like yeah my mum taught me about how to braid my hair and she taught me about shares and it's not just a young person's thing. No, it's not just this generation that's coming up now because anyone at any stage in their life should be aware of their financial situation and what they can do to change it for the better. Simran, it's been a real pleasure having you in here. I just want to ask you one more question. If you were to cast your mind back before you were embedded in this world that you accidentally fell into and fell in love with, I'd say, um, the world of empowering women and financial literacy, um, Perhaps you're finishing your automatry degree or, I don't know, still at school, hanging out with Sonia, talking about boys or whatever it is. Um, What would you tell yourself as like a really key takeaway to prepare yourself for the journey ahead, like a bit of practical advice? The practical advice I would tell myself is it's never an overnight thing. It's like a 1% everyday thing. And I really was naive to that. I just thought people that had made it had woken up one day, had a great idea and just got stuck into it and, and made it happen. And that's not how it happened for us. And I think that was what surprised me. And that, again, just speaks to being so young and naive, for, you know, when you begin these things. But it was the little increments and the little changes and the little decisions and the little desire to get better every single day that's, that is what built, you know, what we have now. Amazing. Thank you so much for for joining us today. This is Independence. This is Kiwi. This is Simran Kaur. When the Facts Change was brought to you by the Spin-Off Podcast Network, together with KiwiBank. Visit kiwibank.co.nz to find out how KiwiBank are making Kiwi better off.
Ready to rediscover the joys of cycling? With over 300 kilometres of cycle paths across Tamaki Makoto, jumping on your bike and going for a ride is such a fun way to discover the city from a different perspective. Cycling is getting more and more popular across Auckland, so now's a great time to join the hype and give cycling a go. Head to at.govt forward slash cycling to find your nearest cycleway today. The Spin-Off Podcast Network.